0: Hello, everyone. I'm Kevin Gastola, one of the hosts of the Unauthorized Disclosure podcast. I'm joined by Rania Kallick. Hey, Rania.
1: Hey, Kevin. Good to
0: see you. And then then our guest this week, as you can see, is Josh Fox, filmmaker and also host of Staying Home with Josh Fox right now. So thanks for joining, Josh.
2: Thank you. It's great to be back.
0: Uh, And we know (laughs) you've been very very busy. we were up late last night working on a, a campaign around a film that's come out and is uh, a subject of a lot of controversy. Plan of Humans, we'll, we'll get to it. Um, I'm certain that when people watch this show, there will have been uh, dozens of people who uh, happen to have, have watched the documentary. But, uh, you know, for now... Uh, my question to you to start, at, the reason we invited you on, or the reason why I wanted to have you on the show was because I've been watching uh, with great interest what the Trump administration is doing during this coronavirus crisis to accelerate the destruction of the environment. I think one of the untold stories in the of Trump's administration, which doesn't get very much attention from the establishment media, is the sort of measures that have been taken to unravel environmental regulations that have been in place for decades, um, and we're seeing the Trump administration take advantage of the coronavirus and go forward and uh, do things like issue waivers to environmental, I mean, to, to energy industries, so that they do not have to meet certain standards while the coronavirus is uh, uh intensifying and continuing to wreck communities we're seeing that ma- vehicle manufacturers are being told that they may not have to re- lower their admissions mm-hmm. we're seeing the interior department press forward with uh, drilling projects in alaska um, mm-hmm. and uh, we're, we're also seeing things that are even uh potentially more alarming and damaging to humans like Ending regulation of nuclear waste dumping. Um, you know, like allowing. I saw so a story from a group called Peer that is uh, public employees within the EPA primarily and other health organizations, where they were suggesting that the administration might move forward with allowing reg- uh, these these industry people to dump in garbage dumps. Basically, like you wouldn't even know that there was radioactive waste in your local dumps because they would just start allowing the industry to to do this so i feel like what's happening with this is really um a, a, a huge story that has gone undercovered
2: yeah well as usual well first of all let me just say thanks for having me on and Ron and thanks for being on my show the other night um uh so look uh I I jumped out of frame for a second, I don't know if you saw that, but to grab the handy-dandy reference guide on these matters, (laughs) my book called The Truth Has Changed, and um, even before the coronavirus, the Trump administration was ransacking environmental regulations, Um, and the reason why I wanted to uh, grab it, I just wanted to be absolutely certain about what I was saying, Um, so, you know, there was the early phase of the Trump administration when people were, like, running, coming in and out of that a uh, White House like a merry-go-round. Like you had Rex Tillerson, first of all, come on, let's just just be clear. Rex <laughs> Tillerson, um, CEO of ExxonMobil, becoming the head of the State Department, kind of gave a sense of what we would see in terms of the environment going forward in the Trump administration, right? Just call me crazy, but um, I think we, were, we it was a signal that perhaps the Trump administration would ally with the oil industry and not with the environment. The fact that um, ExxonMobil was now running all of United States diplomacy. Um, and uh, in addition to that, they were also, they, uh, Rex Tillerson created a contract with Cambridge Analytica at the State Department. So it was ExxonMobil and Cambridge Analytica running the State Department. And their mission was to influence elections all across the globe, which of course they did. And we, saw, we are seeing authoritarian. Um, Governments rise all over the world and what do those authoritarian governments do? Well, they do lots of things without people paying attention, namely destroy the environment. So um, while we were watching this merry-go-round of investigations, the Donald Trump administration rescinded all climate and clean energy goals um, at the at EPA, at the State Department, and a total of 67 different environmental rules have been or are about to be rescinded, including regulations on methane emissions and reporting. Um, So, you know, this was going on as early as 2017. Now, since the coronavirus is happening, um, it's gotten worse. They've just turned it up a notch. So it's like, oh, um, let's, while, while everyone is obsessed with the coronavirus, let's make sure we ransack the EPA even further. We roll back environmental regulations. We make it easier for mercury to get in the atmosphere all the things that you mentioned. And this is typical um, shock doctrine type stuff where no, you know, you have an emergency so you can't let any crisis, um, you know, get away from you without completely destroying the things that protect Americans and protect our public health. This is particularly ironic, right? Or not just ironic, but it's evil because the fossil fuel industry is a a co-factor in the death rate of the coronavirus, Mm -hmm. right? Because what, let's just start with the basic, the fossil fuel industry is a global pandemic and it has been for decades. Air pollution from the fossil fuel industry kills five to seven million people a year, five to seven million preventable deaths a year. And that, that costs the world $30 trillion in healthcare costs per year. And if it doesn't, If the fossil fuel industry's pollution doesn't kill you, and this is kind of amazing that air pollution gives you heart problems. Mm -hmm. Um, If it doesn't kill you, uh, you're left with a chronic condition like heart disease or lung problems or cancer. Those things make it much harder for you to recover from the coronavirus. So when you, when somebody out in a polluted area dies from coronavirus, which is more people are dying from coronavirus in polluted areas, and more people get the coronavirus in polluted areas, you're actually more susceptible to getting it because your immune systems are damaged, um, that you cannot say the coronavirus killed those people. You have to say the coronavirus plus the fossil fuel industry killed those people. So it is without question, one of the most horrendous things that we're seeing, that they're rolling back regulations on industrial pollution at the very moment that people need to breathe. Um, It's dastardly, uh, beyond dastardly. Um, And I'm sure that even though in the first stimulus package we didn't see a bailout of the oil industry and the fracking industry, I'm sure that we're going to start to see the clamors for that type of um, bailout happening uh, right at this moment.
1: Yeah, I wanted to get your take on this sort of irony that we see taking place right now, with everything that you're saying about, uh, you know, fossil fuel industry actually making people sick and and making them, you know, exhausting their immune systems, making them more vulnerable to this virus. At the same time, because of these lockdowns and these restrictive measures that we're seeing temporarily, of course, um, you do see this interesting, uh, you know, like people showing photos of LA, for example, and how there's like no air pollution because everything's come to a standstill. And you see that in cities across the world. And it's almost like you're getting to see, you know, through all this awfulness that we're experiencing, what places could look like, what the air could look like if we didn't, you know, have this dependency. So I'm curious just your thoughts on that because it is kind of irony that we're seeing. Um, And then also what we're seeing with the oil industry right now. You mentioned a potential bailout in the future, which will likely happen because we're seeing the oil... Uh, the the fossil fuel companies are just losing all this money and now oil is like selling at negative because it costs more money to store it at this point because no one's buying it. So, I mean, I'm curious if you can give us your thoughts on this. Yeah, it's,
2: that's a lot of things to to deal with, to encounter right there. First of all, absolutely right. I haven't seen blue skies like this since I was a kid. I mean, it is really remarkable when you look at when you if you have a chance to go outside, which luckily I do because I'm in the woods in Pennsylvania. Um, you know, it is, it, I, the stars. I, I mean, just the, the level of oh, that's there because you all of a sudden you don't have as many planes flying over. You don't have any, as many cars on the road and it makes a palpable difference. Um, and, you know, it, it is worth noting the incredible and intense irony of the fact that in China, the first three months uh, coronavirus killed 3,200 people in the Wuhan area, right? two hundred people is a lot of people. It's more people than died in 9-11. Um, so it's an insane tragedy. But turning off all the industrial pollution in that area because of everybody being locked down, because the industry was shut down, because they weren't using their cars, because of that, the downturn in industrial pollution in that area, it is estimated, saved by Stanford University estimated this, saved between 40,000 and 70,000 people. Wow. So it actually... Saved more people than it killed because of the downturn in pollution. Now the, the takeaway from this is not yay. Coronavirus.
1: Woo, yeah. <laughs> all right. no,
2: obviously yeah. that's ecofascism. The takeaway is, well, what are you going to do now? Just turn that death machine back on. Just be like, mm-hmm. Oh, it's fine. You know, let's just grind all these people into dust so that we can continue our industrial production, which is a lot of plastics, which is a lot of things that we don't need. So I think you're seeing number one, There is this moment where people are, look, you know, we can theorize and think about what it's like to live in a less polluted atmosphere, but it's so different when you actually have that happen, right? It changes your thinking. It changes your mind. It's like, I always think about culture as the air you breathe all around us, right? So like, if you go to India, you're going to start believing in reincarnation in like three days, just because everybody else does. Not because yeah. you thought about it. It's just going to be there, and you're going to be like, "Oh yeah, in my next life." And you're like, "What?" So <laughs> the same thing happens when you're in a non-polluted atmosphere. You're like, "Oh, wow, I have, I can breathe. I can see the stars. There's connectivity to the to the earth, and that is happening on a level which I think has to enter people. And when we have that enter, we can see the incredible stranglehold on our lives that industry has. Without us reining it in. So, for example, in Milan, Jeff Goodell was on my, from Rolling Stone, was on my program the other night. And he was telling me how in Milan, they're reopening, but they're not allowing cars in downtown Milan. Because they realized that it was so awful. They were like, you know what? We'll reopen, but we're not going to have any cars. Mm -hmm. That would be an amazing thing to happen out of this. I have been trying to get cars out of New Orleans and out of New York City, and just 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 and just getting people to imagine what life would be like without cars. Now in colder places, it's harder, but you could still do it. You, it wouldn't be hard. Think about this, roads are a subsidy for the oil industry, they are. The way roads are paved, we are subsidizing fossil fuels and cars with the way we deal with roads. We could just as easily create heated bike paths with overhangs so people could get to and from, or subways, or public transportation, or whatever, <clears throat> and not have all these cars everywhere, which are a danger to public health, which pollute the atmosphere. So one of the things that we have to recognize is that this coronavirus is giving us a culture of something different, and we have to heed mm. those thoughts and take that into our account. And I would love to see more places do what Milan is doing, which is to say, all right, well, we not going to have parking.
1: But do you, do you do you feel the oil, I mean, do you think the oil industry is going to survive this, um, this this yeah. bump they're experiencing, I this mean, crash they're experiencing?
2: Yeah, you know, regardless of what lessons we learn, the transition to renewable energy is going to require the fossil fuel industry to be building shit, right? So, like, mm-hmm. there's no way, like, you get out of that problem. Um, and yeah. yet... Uh, we have to be as frugal as possible with the oil because we we look you know, we use oil in incredibly responsible irresponsible ways. We use coal in incredibly irresponsible ways. We use natural gas in incredibly irresponsible ways. If we devote um, all of our attention towards building renewable energy, well then we get out of that cycle. But there's no way to get out of this moment of fossil fuel domination of this system without using this system to dismantle itself, right? That's the way it always works. We build upon the foundation of the technology of the past and then that technology goes away, right? We had records and then we had tapes and then all of a sudden cds came out cds were digital oh digital great oh so then oh we can digitize songs now digital can happen over computers we don't need the cds anymore so that's the way it works right so when you have a fossil fuel based system which is a disastrous polluting horrible system you use that system to build the next system right because that's the way technology functions there's no other way to do it but you have to dismantle the previous system to get to the one that's more efficient that that makes everybody better off right but wait, but, wait but, but the question is will the oil industry rebound? Um, they will Probably. no doubt be propped up again by yeah. this horrendous administration. The biggest piece of legislation, a culture shifting idea that is a value structure, that is legislation, that is, a, that is a vision for the future, is the Green New Deal. And the mm-hmm. Green New Deal that I like best is the Green New Deal of Bernie Sanders. There are many versions of the Green New Deal. But the Green New Deal of Bernie Sanders is a $17 trillion plan which ends the greed of the fossil fuel industry which transitions workers away from, from oil which has justice for frontline communities and transforms our energy system away from fossil fuels. We absolutely have to campaign for that if we want that, right? So if we want to see these things happen it's not going to be like there's some sensible person in the government who goes, hey, you know what? This would be better. That's not the way this shit works in America. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, There must be extraordinary pressure put on our elected officials if we want to see that transition happen. Um, And that, hopefully, this new thought, these new cultures gives us that motivation to do that as soon as we can go get out of doors or doing it online as we're doing it now.
0: And that's what I wanted to ask you about before we get anywhere close to this film that you've been dealing with and the controversies surrounding it. Because we've seen extraordinary pressure actually paying off with, uh-huh. with banks deciding that they no longer will extend loans to some of these oil firms. I know that in this past week, we've had major banks saying, um, I've seen Bill McKibben flagging that there are uh, these major companies that are stepping back and saying we uh-huh. are not going to be involved in these projects. I mean, one thing is that they're not really that profitable anymore. There's a lot of risk involved capitalistically but also environmentally they're bad and that pressure on those companies as far as um the negative press has had its impact and i think to extend what you're saying why don't you take a a few minutes here to highlight the effect that this environmental activism this I, i feel like there's been quite a surge in the last uh let's say four to eight years that is Really gives people some. I think it's, there's reason to feel hope-filled a little bit that there have been these, especially among youth, uh, these younger groups that have yep. sprouted up, especially yep. on on campuses. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that they felt formed a kind of backbone for Bernie Sanders's campaign, and I think seeing the leadership of some of these grassroots groups, it points to a future where we don't really have to focus so much on who is the president in the White House, but how are we actually transforming consciousness in a way that forces the system to change?
2: Well, I'm, and I do talk about this all the time because there's an enormous disappointment, right? in the fact that Bernie's not going to be the nominee. Um, but that this is that moment where we make demands. Um, yeah. And what's amazing is that we have built, as the environmental movement, and I'm talking about a whole lot of different sectors, we've built an enormous amount of power. Um, so from the standpoint of political power, the anti-fracking movement has won battle after battle after battle. This, this beautiful scenery that you see behind me, scenery, nature that you see behind me is there because the fracking movement banned fracking in the Delaware river basin, which is where I am, which is the watershed for 16 million people downriver uh, in New York city, Southern New Jersey and Philadelphia. We have banned fracking in the state of New York in the state of Vermont in the state of Maryland. There's so many battles that have been won. Um, the very fact that Bernie Sanders was an anti-fracking candidate and that all of the candidates were grilled on their position on fracking is a huge thing. And that we had people like Marianne Williamson, Corey Booger, Kamala Harris, Elizabeth Warren, all of them saying they wanted to ban fracking. That's pretty extraordinary. Um, that's what's on the fracking side. You all, you have this incredible youth climate movement right now, Fridays for Future, inspired uh, in large part by by Greta Thunberg and her work. And you're seeing kids being extremely extraordinarily involved. I had some of those um, uh, young people on my show on on Wednesday night on Earth Day, and they were extraordinary spokespeople for the environment. Um, And you have seen the divestment movement, which Bill McKibben, um, Naomi Klein, myself, and others helped kick off in 2012, really paying... Um, well, let's just say paying dividends is the wrong <laughs> terminology, but um, uh, like paying paying off or uh, paying negatively because we've we've managed turning to turning things bearish. Trillions of dollars divested from trillions of dollars divested from fossil fuels. Um, as you see, um, major insurance funds and banks and universities saying we're not going to invest in this in the thing that's going to give us no future. So I think we've built that power, and that's. Extraordinary, And um, we shouldn't give it away because we have right now a candidate in Joe Biden who is pro-fracking, who was part of an administration, frankly, that was disastrous on the environment when they could have been way, way, way more aggressive and protected us um, to a much, much greater degree. Um, so we have to put enormous pressure on, on Joe Biden. Joe Biden's one of his chief environmental advisors, and people should know this, is Heather Zeichel. Heather Zeichel was the the, the executive, director of the Council on Environmental Quality, which is a, an office out of the White House uh, that I visited many, many times to petition them on various different things during the Obama administration. Heather Zeichel left her position as executive director of CEQ to take a lucrative board position at Chenier Energy. Chenier Energy, one of the top fracking export companies in the world, a company that benefited from the oil export ban being lifted, right? So we, we could export frac gas to the rest of the world, which of course is what Joe Biden and Hillary Clinton were, and Obama were petitioning for. So now the revolving door comes around again, and is complete. She has left Shenyer Energy after making millions of dollars and is now advising the Joe Biden campaign. Jesus. So it's like, for fuck's sake, you know what I mean? It's like, I, 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 I it's just, it's, it's, it's. If you're getting dizzy. It's because it's a merry-go-round, right? It's like, woo, industry, oh, government, woo, industry, oh, fossil fuels, oh, government. And it's like, you've got to get those people out. There's got to be a way to get those people out. So we should be demanding Joe Biden, who in his heart looks like he really wants to stop fracking. He wants to be environmental and and said at the last debate, almost as if he was being bullied by a big, by, by a popular kid in the schoolyard. He was like, no new fracking. He just said it, like, (laughs) because it seemed like Bernie was creating such a swell in the room that, like, people were like, yeah, Joe, come on. He was like, all right, all right. But then, like, it's like, but it's, it's like, so they're movable. They're pushable. And they can be pushed. And they have to be pushed. And this is the moment when we have to amass delegates at the platform level so that we can go back there and duke it out. I was on the platform committee in 2016, and we had a huge amount of progress writing that democratic platform. And the platform is not meaningless. The platform is something that we can establish as their own words like the democrats own words and then we hold them accountable for that which is what we do when we have protests when we have the movement. because like governor cuomo didn't come into office being like hey i want to ban fracking <laughs> no that took six years of organizing but it worked right when the democrats are in office you can push them if you organize when the republicans are in office we're always on defense we're doing things yeah. like watching them you know roll back environmental regulations and we have to then try to reestablish them it's like The difference between being on offense and being on defense is one of the ways that I put it. We often have on defense and Democrats as well. And obviously, Bernie Sanders would have been much better because he was a movement person. But we can't say, oh, God, Bernie's gone. Now everything is lost. No, we say, look at all the power we've built. And not just power politically. We've built an enormous amount of actual power renewable energy works and it is out there and it is on its way. We have a hundred percent renewable energy plan being in re- enacted in California. We have a hundred percent renewable energy plan being enacted in New York. City. And solar and wind are um, on an exponential curve. We talk about exponential curves with the coronavirus is a negative thing, but solar and wind are actually replicating exponentially. And that's a good thing right now. So we have to keep that up.
0: So, Ronnie, did you um, have anything for Josh before?
1: Well, I mean, everyone who watches our, or everyone who listens to our program or watches it uh, knows that, I mean, I think that was really, like, nice, and I hope you're right. I'm just a huge cynic, um, and I just don't even think Joe, I think there's a good chance Joe Biden won't even win. Um, I know,
2: that's what's and really. And so,
1: like, what happens? What happens? Like, No, there really is. There's a really good chance. I mean, like, it could go either way. It's actually really unpredictable, but it's not, you know i don't even really know
2: if it's going to end up being Biden, Biden versus Trump right yeah yeah
1: exactly we also even know if Biden's going to be the nominee cuz everyone's watching his like inability to really form coherent sentences and i'm sure there's lots of conversations going on inside the you know the elite circles of the democratic party that are like holy shit did we make a really big mistake here like this guy's losing it um and so, yeah, who knows? You don't even know what's gonna happen at the convention that's gonna be virtual. <laughs> so everything's extremely unpredictable, but I hope your version of prediction is correct and that my cynical like view of the future is wrong.
2: <laughs> well, I just I think if we, if, I'm just trying to figure out what's practical and what's useful, right? So it's practical and useful for us to prepare for us exercising our, our power.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and it's hard because, like, so much of our organizing happens in person, and it's such a part of the political sphere. What really worries me is that all of a sudden we're going to have like a situation where we get, like, I was on with Greg Palast, um, and he was like, you know, eighty only twenty percent or twenty-two percent of all mail-in ballots don't get counted at all. Mm-hmm. And who doesn't get counted? The people in poor and poor areas, African American areas and it's just like well how the hell are we going to win how are we going to win without organizing how are we going to win without being in the streets it's really rough to think And then you
1: consider it. that they're trying to like destroy the post office and so, okay then how do we do mail in ballots or the fact that you could actually foresee this administration saying you know what let's postpone the elections yeah but well guess-
2: that's another thing that's very scary and that I'm going to be work thinking about that in my in my new film um which is an adaptation of this book which is a um, and, and, and how, cause this is a book about viral misinformation
0: uh-huh.
2: and now the film is about, about viral misinformation. Um, and there are very close ties between the same people who created misinformation for the oil industry and the people who are creating misinformation on the coronavirus. Um, uh-huh. but back to the, the cynicism, look, you know, 2020 is like a, a choose your own adventure book being like like written by an octopus like you have no idea like what's going to happen next it's so nuts so an I octopus, on, an
1: an octopus
2: on acid um, yeah i think that's the, i think that's actually the chinese year of this year it's 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 not year of the rat or the or the horse it's the year of octopus <laughs> on acid i read that somewhere i know that's true um, that's the mayan calendar for, for that's the <laughs> yeah. rob Bresney's horoscope is this is the year of octopus on acid Um, So, um, anyhow, the the point is that there's so many twists and turns that that are maybe left in store for us right now. What we are seeing is extraordinary in terms of bending the rules of political campaign ads, like morphing Barack Obama's face onto somebody else. to Take Um, a former president's face and put him on as if he was like with his buddies watching Joe Biden make gaffes. And then there was one that I saw yesterday, which had Joe Biden's face contorted into all this strange mask with his tongue sticking out and he was drooling. And it's like, this is where (laughs) we are now. We're animating former presidents and these were legit Trump ads. And so, Oh,
1: were they really?
2: Oh yeah. These are dismantling reality itself. Mm -hmm. And because we're now, it's almost as if we were all sucked into r- virtual reality and sucked off of the planet. Uh, um, yeah, and that's that's the scariest thing because the planet itself is our way of discerning empirical truth. Uh huh. And if we get far into cyberspace, that's where that's where the wackiness uh, starts. Um,
1: well, I'll yeah, go ahead. Sorry. These are the things that
2: I think. These are the things that keep me up late at night. That's what this this is this is about. Um, and and I'm I'm working like crazy out on the planet out there to create a film which is showing that dichotomy um so that's hopefully and we're trying to get it out like this year we're trying to get it out like this summer um oh. so my editor out in la and i were we're sending files back and forth and we're we're getting it done um and it's you know we're it's a race against time basically um anyway sorry uh that was a long and, and circuitous answer to your question but- was an
1: well, I know Kevin wanted to get into this film. We have about like a little over two minutes, and I'm sure that you guys. I, so let me just to be clear, I did not have the opportunity to watch this film. I know both obviously. You're talking watched, about Michael Moore's movie. It's yeah, uh, and well, Kevin, I, I know.
2: It's Jeff's movie, right? Well, it's executive produced by Michael Moore. Um, Michael Moore is the one who's out there hawking it. Uh, the movie is called Planet of the Humans. It is extraordinarily irresponsible um, in terms of. It has no, it, 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 the thesis of the movie is renewable energy doesn't work. And it's based on fossil fuels, which is absolutely ludicrous and insane. And it also attacks heroic members of our environmental community, like Bill McKibben, like a guy named Nathan Soy, who's an organizer here in local Pennsylvania that I've known forever and ever, who's the salt of the earth. And the movie is um The classic where you've got like basically a billionaire not a bit. Well, Michael Moore has got hundreds of millions of dollars um, And he comes in like a gorilla in the room like Goliath and starts punching down at the environmental movement so we're punching back and um We're organizing and we have a sign-on letter signed by Nobel Prize winning scientists Michael Mann and renewable energy scientists and other folks campaigners and we one of the films the sites that um that is hosting the film, Films for Action, has actually taken the film down. Um, because they were they were not allowed to see it before they were put, they put it up. Michael Moore just said, you can't see this film based on my reputation, you put it up. Which to me means that he knows that there was gonna be some kind of incredible backlash to it and he did it anyway. Even though the research for the film is unconscionably poor and, and like 80, 90% totally incorrect. Empirically, scientifically, unfactually, unfactual and incorrect, right? And so the distributors are like, wait a minute, we didn't know this was the movie. And they're pulling, some of them are pulling it down, um, which is a retraction, which happens with newspapers all the time. It's like, oh, this story was untrue. Whoops, sorry, we're gonna retract the story. That's what's happening and that's what should happen with this movie. And there should be an enormous backlash against this insane movie. Because what it does is it it cuts out the legs of every single premise of the environmental movement if you don't think that renewable energy works, right? right. Like, if what you're saying is, and what they what they end up saying is, oh well, it's population that's really the problem, which is completely not the case. Population is an issue, but population is not, um, you know, an issue you talk about by saying, well, because that's borderline ecofascism. In a moment where you have racism, in a moment where you have the border policies that we have, in a moment of global pandemic, you don't say we have overpopulation, because that's insane and inf- and offensive. And you also don't fly in the face of decades worth of scientific information, scientific fact that says renewable energy works and renewable is great. Wind is great. Solar is great. These things last for a very long time. They have uh, little to no carbon. They are incredibly efficient. They're getting better. And that's the future. If we don't have renewable energy, then you're campaigning to turn the lights off in a, in a hospital in the middle of an operation. And that's what these guys who are, you know, who, and their film interviewed a majority of like older white people. It's an extraordinary mess. It's a giant mess. And when I was emailing with Michael Mann, the, the great Nobel prize winning climate scientist the other day, he was like, boy, this is a mess. It's gonna take a lot of cleanup. And so people, I, I look, Michael Moore is a person who's a hero of mine. I'm a first person documentary filmmaker. He practically invented the genre. He's inspired me. He's thrilled me. He's delighted me. He's taught me a lot of things and he has come crashing to the ground in my estimation right now. And it is really a shame, really a shame.
0: So, okay. So there's a couple things I want to say and hopefully you don't come through the screen and try to strangle me, but, uh, but, uh, but first I think you'll agree. I, you're a filmmaker and I watch a fair amount of films. I don't claim to know how to do filmmaking, but it seems like an aesthetic mess. Like the, like oh, I was watching a terribly I, bad movie, yeah, I was watching this film, and the first forty minutes are a complete snooze. Like, I mean, I think the narrator is awful.
2: he's totally <laughs> awful. And I say that as a as a film critic and as a let me take off my p- politician's hat, and put my filmmaker hat on. this guy has a personality of like a piece of wood wrapped in a white <laughs> gym sock. It's yeah. awful. And then he sounds like he's got the last cache of quaaludes left on earth. When <laughs> like it is go go go. it's really terrible like (laughs) people who have watched are like how could i even watch it for more than 10 minutes um and the only reason people are watching it for more than 10 minutes is because they are so outraged and appalled that they're taking notes about everything that's wrong
0: in it sorry well and so but then the other thing and i think that there's something to be said about being on quarantine okay maybe we'll maybe we've now got a new uh nickname for this it's It's sort of like the Tiger King phenomenon, right? Of like, everyone's trapped at home, so they watch the one thing that everyone's talking about. And maybe they wouldn't have even watched it that much if everyone was doing normal work, but we've got a million plus people in two days that have watched this film that I'm not sure was even ready for being distributed yet. It's got, like, I think three months ago, if we weren't in a pandemic, you might have spent six to 12 months. I really wish some more time had been spent producing this film, consulting with people, because the point I'm getting at is, I think there's something there. I feel like there's parts of the film that do have value that could have been on their own um, con- con- communicating something of worth. I, I, Ronnie and I both have talked about our... Views. I'm I'm bringing in Rania, and I, I that might be unfair. But okay, we've talked about. We, we've, I don't want to set her up for something that like she doesn't want to defend right now. But well, like, I haven't
1: we, watched it. Yeah, I she hasn't
0: watched it. watched it. So let me so let me say like I have been concerned about the way in which certain environmental groups might make common cause with neoliberal factions of the Democratic Party. Oh, absolutely. And and I think, and I think had the film only been about that, and say, I'm gonna name the Sierra Club, then maybe we would have a good film.
2: I, I've taken Michael Bloomberg to task, I've taken Sierra Club to task, I've fought with NRDC, I've fought with all these groups because they are, yes, corporate groups, but that's not the basis of this movie. Look, even a broken clock is right twice a yeah. day. That's what's going on in this movie. Like to ba- to the, what they say in the film, and I'm not kidding you, is renewable energy is dependent on fossil fuels. And the producer of the film says you might as well just burn the fossil fuels instead. This could really? not be... Yes. That's what they say in the movie. The guy says... He points at this... Uh, a solar facility out in the desert in California, which is not—it's a con- concentrated solar plant, which where I've actually been and filmed. And he said, "Well, this is dependent on natural gas, and you're using so much natural gas that you might as well uh, burn the gas instead of building the plant." And they say the same thing about wind turbines. They say there's so much concrete going into this wind turbine that it's more fossil fuels going into it than power is coming out. Well, this is patently absurd. This is, first of all, just completely not true in every aspect. Um, but like. <laughs> You know, it's as if there's no concrete going into a natural gas power plant and no steel going into the hundreds of thousands of miles of pipelines that you need to transport natural gas. I mean, it's like, there's a base level of industrial activity that, that takes place with building anything, right? Then the question is, well, what after that are you doing, right? Um, to say nothing of all of the incredible pollution that comes from those facilities, like coal plants and natural gas plants, right? And they actually go out and they're like, well, electric cars are no good because they're running on coal-fired power plants. I'm like, yeah, but (laughs) there's something called the Green New Deal, which forecasts the entire picture, which is what we're campaigning for, right? So it's like, first of all, the the whole movie was based on a book that was written in 2012. Yeah, yeah. 2012 is not, and I read the book in 2012, and it was wrong in 2012, you know? Um, I go into this extensively on my program, Staying Home, where I go and break it down with uh, Tony and who's a Cornell scientist who's one of the uh, authors of the 100% Renewable Energy Plan for New York. And um, Tony said, if a scientist, a legit scientist watched this movie before it had come out, they would have told them that 80% of it is wrong. That's what I am saying. That's what he is saying. And it is such, it is so wrong. And put out by such a persuasive and important person in our movement that it counts as as bad misinformation as anything Donald Trump has said about the environmental movement, as anything Steve Bannon has said about the environmental movement. And, yeah, we can take Sierra Club to task. I do that all the time. That's part of what we do as a movement. We hold these people accountable for their misdeeds, especially when they're, um, you know, palling around with michael bloomberg who is really another horrible megalomaniac with a huge mm-hmm. amount of money but i mean you don't fight a megalomaniac with another megalomaniac i mean this is this is what's really crazy about this situation we have built a people's movement and that people's movement is extraordinarily strong and it is led by the thousands of mom and pop environmental groups anti fracking groups climate groups across this nation and thousands of son and daughter ones too and these guys, these old white guys who have lots and lots of money are coming down and ignoring that completely and ignoring the truth of it and it is shocking and it is appalling and I can't tell you the number of phone calls and emails, I looked up to 5 o'clock in the morning last night um, you know working with the distributor who was so upset, Films for Action that they have taken the film down and they've put up our letter of protest instead, because they said we were misinformed about this movie, this movie is misinformation, and we have an obligation to the truth in journalism when we're taking it back.
0: Well, I, we have to wrap, but uh, the one thing I wanted to get in here is, as we end is it, I was struck by how it does go up to a certain date and doesn't seem to include anything after that <laughs> date. I mean, we're, we're we're missing like- It is journalistic malpractice. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. and- to portray a protest that took place in 2013 as yesterday.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I mean, the other thing to get you to react to is that like the assessment of solar and wind only goes up to where the technology was in the late 2000s, basically. Right. Like we're, we're critiquing.
2: No, the 1980s. Oh, he has said these solar, this guy is pointing to a solar array and he goes, these solar panels are 8% efficient. They can't run a toaster. Those are solar panels that are from 30 years ago. And they're presenting Mm -hmm. them with the technology of today. This is deceit.
0: Yeah. And so to end here, is is what's most concerning? Well, one, we have a right-wing president in the White House who can easily manipulate this film in such a way to I can see the the yeah, and so the one thing that does stand out about the film is the gimmick that he has where he goes up to people to show that they're not running their event entirely on solar uh it seems like one of those things that like washington times uh wing nuts might do to like discredit oh, yeah. the, uh, oh, okay. green, green festivals and so that's one thing that's happened but i think as i as i contemplated and, and hear your reactions and you've done a really good job of countering the this this film um I have to confess that when I watched the film, uh, because of my politics, I was open to a lot of what was put forward into in the film. And so I think the one thing to say here about how people could be manipulated is that it's playing to people's own critiques of capitalism. And it seems to take advantage of the fertile ground that's out there for people who believe that capitalism can't be the answer to solving our climate crisis.
2: Well, let's just say this about journalism. I abhor when someone jumps up from behind a bush and does this gotcha thing,
0: ha ha, gotcha.
2: And we've seen that technique being really used nefariously by people like Andrew Breitbart, Steve Bannon, Fox News. But really that comes from Michael Moore. That is something I, I hate, I would never do, and I don't do it because I think it's not truthful um and what happens over and over in this film are those types of moments right where the guy where there's one backstage guy who's like yeah that's the solar array no that's not running the thing but listen i i don't have solar panels on this house yeah why because i get i buy renewable energy from the grid which you can do and so you you, you could and the natural gas industry has done this to me they've come by and they say that josh fox's brooklyn studio runs on natural gas No, you know what doesn't it runs on clean power because we buy it from a clean energy source which then brings the power to our house through the grid which is what you can do so so and and it's totally deceitful when they show the pictures of the gigafactory of Tesla and they're like well here it is tied to the grid but that's an old picture and they they now have all the solar panels on the because they were building the factory at that time this is deceit and so when you go up to somebody like Bill McKibben or Van Jones and you make this huge, huge argument about biomass in the movie, right? They're like, biomass is bad. Biomass burns wood. Biomass contributes to this. Biomass is terrible. And then you go up to Van Jones and Bill McKibben or Nathan So, what's your position on biomass? And they don't immediately, biomass is bad. And then, uh, I, I don't know. Well, the reason why is because biomass is less than 2% of energy in the United States. It's irrelevant. It's irrelevant. It's irrelevant. And that's why people don't have, like, they're like, you know, uh, immediate policy position on biomass. It's like asking a figure skater, you know, how, how, how to put up a solar panel. You know, it's like, like, you know, it's like, they're gonna be like, I don't know, because it's totally irrelevant. But the way the movie works is they, they build this biomass thing up to make it look like, oh, it's the worst thing ever. And then they're like, they ask a gotcha question of these people. And they're like, what are you talking about? And they're like, see, ah, this is absolute garbage, garbage, garbage on a stick. And uh, one of the reviewers, and I can't remember who it was, pointed it out, that every once in a while, there's a really famous reporter with a lot of money who's like, hmm, I've never done anything on climate change. i really sure. And because of their incredible arrogance, they do something on climate change, and they step in it big time. Because climate change is really difficult to figure out. And so is renewable energy. And a lot of people don't have a degree in like how renewable energy works. So it plays on people's ignorance. That is... The worst hallmark of misinformation. And that is the double edged sword of a person like Michael Moore, who, like I said, I have absolutely loved his work and also really hate the moments where he delves down into that moment of like, I jumped out from behind a bush and I got, and I surprised you, and here I am. It, you know, because that's not honest. It's just not. When you want people's truth, you have to give them a chance to say the truth. You can't just like take them in their off moments when they're in the middle of like who knows they might have just gotten out of a like walked out of a car and had a huge fight with their wife or son or who, boyfriend you know what I mean like it's just it's not a, a responsible way of doing journalism and unfortunately now we're seeing the absolute um, ab- height of that with this with this uh, with this I don't even want to call it a documentary. It is basically a um, piece of propaganda, um, and and it is currently being used by fossil fuel industry and fossil fuel proponents to say, see, everything environmental says is wrong.
0: Bill what McKibben just called it a he called it a YouTube video. Who did? Bill McKibben in the release he just calls it a YouTube I know. video.
2: That's a wonderful <laughs> New England light. Bill McKibben is so much classier than me. I'm like an Italian Jew New Yorker, and I'm like. Jesus. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just ready to go. And Bill McKibben is like, the YouTube video. I'm like, brilliant.
0: But that undercuts <laughs> it. Like, right, those two words, just, it's like, it's not, it's, uh, so anything else, Ronnie, before we wrap here and say farewell to Josh? No,
1: I've, I think that was really That's great. Good. Um, we always appreciate having you on. It's been a while, but it was, like how colorful and animated you are when you explain things. <laughs> it makes it more entertaining. I'm going to remember on acid forever. <laughs> we'll, have to, we'll have to
0: talk to Josh when they have the virtual convention in yeah. August.
2: Well, I hope, yeah. I mean, I, I hope because I'm a surrogate for the Bernie campaign uh, even now, even though there's no campaign, I guess. I don't know. I'm hoping that I will get to serve on the platform committee. Um, I was able to, with Bill McKibben, last year, uh, last year, last 2016, I posted a throwback Thursday yesterday and I was like, wait a minute, no, that was today. Mm-hmm. Um because time has no meaning. Um mm-hmm. anyhow, thank you for having me on for such a long time. I know I've chewed up your envelope of time, but not not um but but hopefully I'll be back on that committee. And if I'm not because I attack Michael Moore, well then so be it. I hope Bernie And we'll be we'll be following reversed. the
1: we'll Or maybe you're on
0: maybe you'll be on because you attacked Michael Moore because I mean,
2: Michael because... Moore attacking Bill McKibben, it's like It's just unconscionable. Like Bill McKibben is one of them. hes a Sunday school teacher, you know. (laughs) He's given all of his money that he's made off of of all of his projects. He's given them to like the—he's given them to the cause. Like it's
1: Uh, also what are but those moments in
2: favor of everything that Bill does because he's a he's a Red Sox fan. I'm a Yankees fan. Like we (laughs) don't we sometimes clash, but like he's
0: sincere. But what year are those movements in the film from? I mean, he's changed since those those like even if those were like his positions, he's different now, right? Like he's.
2: I mean, what positions does does he articulate
0: in the film that are wrong? I mean, he he says that he's changed his position on biomass. He's not hiding that. Well, yeah. I mean, okay. But I'm saying I'm I'm saying <laughs> well, that's a negative course, thing I, against the film. I explained biomass is. No, I know, but I'm saying that's a negative thing against the filmmaker. The people are in crystal, the way the filmmaker treats people is that they're like crystallized in amber. Like
2: this movie was shot in 2013, 2014. I know because when they do one of the gotcha rallies against Nathan Soy, who is this clean water action amazing campaigner in Pennsylvania who just runs rally after rally in Harrisburg, I think I was at that rally. I'm pretty sure. And I'm kind of pissed. Like, they choose Bill McKibben to go after, I think, because he's an other older white person. And I think, I, I kind of wish that they had gone after me. Go after AOC. Go after Bernie. Like, really? Yeah. Like, you want to attack the Green New Deal and renewable energy? Go after the guy you're a surrogate for. Like, I no. would be honest. Um, Because then people would understand where they're coming from. But no, they take Bill McKibben and they make him into their whipping boy. And it's just. Totally distasteful. All
0: right. Well, Go after Naomi Klein. Yeah, right, yeah. For that matter. All right. Well, I'm glad that you're um, there to clean up the pieces and try to keep things together. I hope
2: so. I hope we can do something.
0: And uh, all right. Well, we'll have to have you on again uh, soon. Uh, until uh, next time, I want to thank everyone for watching the Unauthorized Disclosure podcast. To all of our patrons, as we say for each show, thank you for your support. Uh, and if you would like to support the show, you can find us at patreon.com slash unotherized disclosure, patreon.com slash unotherized disclosure.
1: Thank you. Right. Thanks Thanks, Andy.